0: This podcast is from heptagonclub.co.uk and paulcarensa.com. The Heptagon Club. Heptagon Club. Heptagon Club with Paul Carenza seven guests, seven corners.
1: On this week's show.
0: Well, yeah,
2: it's good enough for me, but not yeah.
0: for
3: you. He
1: we went on stage in a dressing
4: gown. Mungle hordes. Have you ever ran with a horn? I have. That's a bad
3: bunch
5: Follow me. So come on friends.
3: Your host
0: Mr. Paul Karansa.
3: Hello there. Thank you. Welcome Podcast 14. Here we go. We have had a summer break. Hope that yours uh, was uh, well, existent. I suppose um, ours wasn't really existent as a as a summer break. We went to Cornwall for two and a half weeks, which was nice. I thought I would work remotely, and I didn't remotely work. I think it's probably fair to say. Well, I did a bit. I well, was not going out. Uh, next series uh, is is underway. That's uh, all good fun, and also some currently top secret writing for a show which will be on just before Christmas. Uh, but yes, our our Cornish summer was mostly rainy, uh, which is hardly fair. And then, of course, late August came and September and all that sort of stuff. And then uh, I went into hospital for a few days. Uh, I I won't go into vast details here, but if you are interested, I've done a pause for thought on Radio 2 about this very thing just last week. So you can find that on my Facebook page if you fancy, but uh, details there, not here. Let's just leave it at that. But but we do get a bit medical uh, on this episode of the podcast. Uh, We've got storyteller Becca Barron uh, with a story about some surprise surgery in Bangkok, which is It's not a risk if you travel there, I promise you that. Uh, We've got comedian Carl Donnelly, uh, not just any comedian, but Chortle Comedian of the Year, Carl Donnelly, that is. Uh, He's talking medical stage attire. Oh, and what a perfect time to mention my slightly medical one-man show, Navelless Gazing, which is in London this very weekend. So if you are quick and listening to this early, uh, and and also if you are in shouting distance of the capital, this Saturday, 23rd of September, at the fabulous Museum of Comedy, uh, I realise that most of you won't be listening to this on the week of release so let me also say that I'm a Liverpool Comedy Festival next week Tuesday 26th although I I realise also you're unlikely to listen to this by then either Uh, I've got Nottingham Comedy Festival uh, in November as well that's currently the last date for Navelless Gazing which is in November the something but the show will certainly be in the back pocket for future use if demand is there so uh, the show got five stars at Camden Fringe which is very nice uh, in the Open Door Fringe Review which I'd never heard of Uh, but now it's given me five stars it's my favourite publication Uh, um, and they don't give everyone five stars. I I did I did do the research on that just to make sure. It's not one of those eBay delivery ratings where everyone gets five. But yeah, Museum of Comedy this weekend with Funny Man Rob Thomas, book online, museumofcomedy.com. And it's a beautiful place. Regardless of my show, if you ever listen in the future, get to the Museum of Comedy. You can actually see they've got Del Boy's Cap, Steptoes toe or whatever I don't know but they've got comedy artifacts uh, through the years so I would thoroughly recommend coming early and looking at those. Back to the podcast speaking of museums and indeed of comedy uh, we have a wealth of museum-like knowledge this episode for you largely from comedians as well but we've also got a few muggles thrown in as well we've got Dominic Frisby bringing his financial know-how we've got Eric McElroy on how to be a TV pundit radio producer Chris Byland uh, on what radio production if you don't know the podcast we have seven guests a week in seven corners of this pseudo-club that we find ourselves in. Um, Oh, and we have a star guest as well each time, and this time uh, from our live show, the fantastic Tony Law. Now, uh, he's up uh, right now. There is a brief early swear, which I've covered with a strange noise. So if you hear that, just get past the siren, and uh, and we'll move on from there, shall we? So we trailed Tony last week. If you don't know him, he's a fantastic freewheeling Canadian comedian, so expect anything and last time he was just telling us that he'd been reading a fine history book oh did I mention by the way that I had a new book out last week Hark the biography of Christmas well more on that coming up I can't do all the plugs straight away it's it's rather rude I know Uh, but yes right now Tony Law he's been reading about the history of the Silk Road
4: yeah I just want to say Silk Road I like it like me Genghis Khan is responsible for the modern world him more I mean, <laughs> me a little bit less, but
3: uh, <laughs> I know little about the Silk Road, but I presume it's something to do with conquest and commerce. Is that about right? It's is it all in there somewhere? Of a- Mostly
4: just commerce. Okay. Mostly people want good stuff. Yeah, and finding a way to get it across. And everything was closed up till gang just kicked the doors open. I think we'll all agree on that. Uh, The mongols. The mongol hordes. Have you ever ran with a horde? (laughs) I have. That's a bad bunch. People are worried about the the gangs around, you know? That was the gang. The gang. Tough. Small but tough and mobile. That's true. When you're from the future though and you travel back to ride with them, you look like a d- on horseback Because we're much bigger now. I'm here to tell you we're a lot yeah, we're a lot bigger than. Yeah, we're much bigger. Yes, the diet. You know, uh, if I played uh, middle linebacker in the NFL right now, I'd be small.
2: In the
4: 80s, I was the ideal size. I'm actually the same weight now as I was when I was 17. But it's all fat now. Okay. <laughs> 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 I, just, I, ju- I don't know why I just jumped in there, NFL. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I like everything I liked when I was 17 now. So, did you like the Silk back there? Oh, Road back then? Oh, yeah. I oh, really yeah. like the Silk Road. Oh, I was saying. a Sogdian trainer. <laughs> trainer? Yeah, I trained yeah. Sogdian. Traders. Okay. What does that mean? You know, facial expressions don't scan on the old podcast, do they? It's <laughs> working out. I just came out to work on some new uh, f- face moves. That's, fun. <laughs> that's my favorite one. I can't stop doing this one, lady. Suicide by mirrors. So Silk Road. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, so important. Uh, All about a... silk not just silk, yeah. ideas. Think everybody, you know what? I think if everyone was forced to learn about the Silk Road, a lot better world. There's been a fair few, and I've seen them. There's some crazy old ones on YouTube. That's That's the best way to watch documentaries. But you have to be careful because ten minutes in, you're no. I'm pretty sure that's not true. So more
3: Tony Law in a bit, but plenty more guests to get through. Seven a week—that's our goal. Uh, so Tony's been here before. Let's also uh, welcome back another comedian who's been here before—a man who knows all about money. This is Dominic Frisbee.
6: You know, society is always going to be unequal, unequal because no two people are the same. And you know, even within a family, there's inequality. Inequality is inevitable. If you want diversity and variety and everything else inequality is inevitable but the financial inequality that we are going through at the moment the wealth inequality is unprecedented uh, in 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 the history of the free world obviously if you include slaves and so on it's not but in the history of the free world it's almost unprecedented and so much of it is a consequence and the biggest one of course we have in in the uk at the moment is the wealth inequality who owns a house and who doesn't is the single biggest Divide, and that is purely uh, on the basis of when you were born. In Mm. other words, when normal people could afford a house, and when they no longer can. And house prices. People think house prices are caused by lack of land. Actually, house prices are caused by um, a failing system of credit. It's the amount of credit in the in the in in house prices that have pushed them up to these ridiculous levels. If there was no credit in the housing market, house prices would be directly uh, Um, relative to earnings, to what people earned, and but because the image of the mortgage, and then all these ways they found of putting credit into the house, housing, market, that's created this thing where anyone under the age of thirty can't afford mm. a house, and anyone over the age of forty is, you know, has mm. probably got a nice one, within mm. things. So yes, so it it monetary policy is. The, the the failings of monetary policy, the injustices and the incompetence of monetary policy have led to the rise of extremist politics.
3: I see. Wow. Well, I I didn't expect to get that from. Uh, well, uh, but to be honest, I'm financially all over the place.
6: You shouldn't be, though, because you're a bright young man. Well, in, in theory,
3: in, I should be. I, I, I should be more interested in it than I am. I should be. I should be looking at the stocks and shares. I look at the, you know, the week and go, oh, that's that's going up. Yeah. And that's going down. I should buy some of those or sell some of yeah. those, whatever. And of course, you never do. Speaking of money, 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 we've had actual donations. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for those. Uh, A big thank you to Anna and Chris Gramstad. That's fantastic. Uh, You are gold star superstars and super supporters of the Hepticon Club. Guests of honour indeed. You have no idea uh, the warmth and joy it is to see a donation ping into my email inbox from strangers as well and that's always encouraging and lovely and brilliant. So we thank you uh, for that. Uh, That just means that people enjoy the podcast enough to dip into their pockets and that means that we'll keep making more. We have to. You've invested now. So uh, if you would also like like to donate heptagonclub.co.uk, click donate and you have no idea the smile it will bring to my face uh, when I get a little notification that someone has done that you can also click the patreon button which is the top right of heptigonclub.co.uk, if you would like to give something regular and for that you gain bonus treats and things and rewards and all that sort of stuff but any donation 5 10 20 2 200 2000 whatever all welcome and also heart-meltingly appreciated, I cannot put it into words. Uh, so this podcast does cost in terms of kit and travel, so we thank you for that. Um, I Thank you to uh, to what I will call a, a mystery donor uh, for now, uh, for a, a very generous sum, and we will um, probably say no more than that. Between me and him, we sort of know that we kind of came to some arrangement where I did not take that entire generous sum because of other reasons, but it was very uh, um, delightful and and generous and kind and... Benevolent and beneficent—is that a word? It's a word. I don't quite know if it's right for this particular context. But anyway, if you are listening, mystery donor, and you want to be demystified and un- unanonymized, is that? That's, I'm making up words left, right, and centrified here. Anyway, I will gladly um, reveal your name on a future week. But for now, I will play it safe and just say thank you, mystery person. You are very kind. You know who you are. You have paid a price, of which I am blushing, just talking about. But anyway, um, so money is a very embarrassing subject matter. Thank you for uh, demystifying that. Dominic Frisby, our previous uh, money guru guest there. He'll be returning uh, with more talk uh, on, on a future episode as well. Um, always a delight to welcome return guests. We've got a few this week. We've got Tony Law again back in a sec. But speaking, as Dominic was there, of divided unequal wealth, here are some tales of a far-off tax haven from comedian... David Whitney.
2: I, I was very lucky last year. I did some gigs out of Panama, um, and it was the most amazing experience to go to Panama. Is there a Panamanian circuit? Is well, so? there isn't, but there was because there's got so many expats from Britain and America. So it's essentially a Canary Wharf, dropped in the middle of a rainforest. Oh is it? Okay, because um, it's where it's it's it's, it's a, the Americas Switzerland. It's where they it's right. where they clean or thrive. But every gig, there are with the same problems, like a sort of like 20 foot gap between the stage oh, yeah. and the audience which we all know is a killer for comedy yeah. and at each one I was the headliner and at each one I was moving furniture before going on and, and, and moving lights and stuff and, and as we went to each gig and it was still, it's like I, I felt like do so these guys think I'm some sort of prima donna or something? Do yeah. you they know, think that I'm like... It, just, it looks oh, bad, doesn't oh, it? It does. we moving the furniture. We've flown him out here, put him up in a good hotel. Yeah. And he's and just like moaning about where the light. Yeah, this isn't me demanding blue M&M's. No, it's not. You're, <laughs> you're a feng shui I, obsessive. Yeah, but, you know, it's, I, it'll make the gig work. I want, yeah, I just want the yeah. gig to be better yes. for everybody. Yeah. You know, I'm not... You know. Yeah. yeah, I said that for everybody. Like, I, I like the of idea. Course. I like the idea that a comedian would we, would change the furniture so the gig was set up properly, but only for when he was on stage. Oh yeah, that'll be nice. And then move it back again <laughs> yeah. during someone else's act. That's always
3: nice, isn't it? It can look a little like we're not in this together, can not it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, my, my wife actually used to um, suggest, uh, when I, I used to keep coming back with colds and stuff, and gigs that you just pick up and Edinburgh and stuff, and she used to say, Well, you've got your own microphone, why don't you just, as the, co- the compra introduces you, and then you walk on, and then you unplug oh the goodness. microphone, that, and then plug in
2: your own one. That would be Do the 20 most minutes hilarious. Thing. And then take, and back. Don't take it
3: back <laughs> again, you know, just, and, and, you can have your germ ridden microphone. But yeah. she genuinely meant it. You know.
2: and, and she's." was. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, you can get some disinfectant wipes. <laughs> yes, yes. Unless you take <laughs> the so stage, tell you how these. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you can see the
3: temptation, can't you? Really, you know, it's it's uh, it's like when you go to Tokyo and they've all got those masks on.
2: It's like what the air's good enough for me, but not yeah, for you, exactly. And then you, you sort of like see them taking them off to get Pepsi, please. We're going to put the tube down here, and you can have the Pepsi that way. Yeah. It's <laughs> not quite going to work anyway. Yeah, not going to work. The Heptagon Club.
0: Seven guests, seven corners. The Heptagon Club. With Paul Carenza, but
4: I get terrified if the if the audience is a little bit like right wingy. Yeah, even though like that's kind of what I was when I set out.
3: It's a tricky thing, it. You can't tell, can you? When you come in and you start a joke, and you go, "Oh, you're not, you're, you're that way. Oh, you're this way." It's tricky, isn't it? Well, how do you
4: deal with that? Do you well, how them, do like, I tell? Yeah. Or do you ask I mean, I, when when they uh, stare, when I could, there's a certain face that that says <laughs> you don't know how to do what you're doing, which I get quite oh, a yeah. bit, <laughs> and it's usually kind of. I have
3: to describe another facial. I get that,
4: as soon as I see too many of them, I just look down to the. Left. And you can just say, and I, I want to shout to them and go, just open your mind for a minute. It'll get good. And then I go. <laughs> I wish you were a video podcast. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> about a podcast. That would be nice. Am I right? <laughs>
3: so, Tony Law is a man who changes fashions every year or two on stage. I don't mean he changes on stage. That would be rather revealing but he does ring in some on stage haute couture changes shall we say that much so here is another comedian who does just the same in fact he brings in new styles to stand out as a stand up he's a top comic
1: we are lucky to have him it's Carl Donnelly I'm sure you won't mind me saying this Okay, oh, yeah go on but comedian Joe Bore oh yeah went through a phase of wearing a man bag on stage Oh, right. and he did have a joke about a man okay. bag, but the actual wearing yeah. of it was unnecessary. I think yes. people would have understood the joke. Well, I think you expect props as well if you've got a bag. Yeah, well. but no, it, just, it was do. just as bad. And I think yeah. he, I think it was part of him was thinking that'd be quite a cool thing. to... Yeah. you yeah. know, yeah, I think there was a thought process behind it other than just I'm going to wear my bag on stage. I think colostomy bag on stage would be a nice, uh, a nice look. That's um, it would say something. Have it out. Have it out. Yeah, yeah
3: no display. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a display, and maybe not refer to it. Yeah. no yeah. I mean, right i would speaking kind of colostomy which is uh it's actually one of the few medical elements that i don't have uh but in my new show i am trying to unburden some taboos on uh i don't know let's say urological climbs can i say that much i just did uh, so this new show i'm doing navelless gazing it is a weird show I-, I don't know how happy i am talking about it but i'm doing it under medical advice uh the doctors want me to break down a few barriers and i'm delighted to do that so if that includes doing a weird show about my innards then so be it Thankfully, the reviews have been very kind. Five stars, according to the Open Door Fringe Review. You can see for yourself this weekend in London, Saturday the 23rd of September at the Museum of Comedy, Next week in Liverpool Comedy Festival, Nottingham Comedy Festival in November. Just Google Paul Carenza, navelless gazing. It's all on my website, all that sort of stuff. Sorry for the plug. Anyway, we are interrupting here, Carl Donnelly.
1: Chris Martin, the comedian. Yes. He's not the not, yes. Coldplay, not the non-comedian. He's currently living in LA for five months. Is mm-hmm. he? And he did a gig recently, about a week ago, and he messaged me saying he did a gig with a guy who went on stage in a dressing gown. Right. right. Which yeah. I like. That's a look. That Isn't is an actual, that is a that look.
3: Is a bold look. The last time I saw Chris Martin properly was years ago, and he, he was running a gig up in the northeast, I believe. Is that right? Newcastle, Newcastle yeah. that's right. And he, uh, he said, oh, it includes accommodation, which was at his place, basically. Yeah. And it was really just which two flatmates were out at the time you yeah, could yeah. have their room. And I remember staying in, and again, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, well, he, you know, he hasn't got a choice, he's in LA. Yeah.
1: Um,
3: but the two rooms I got to choose from, uh, I looked, at, but they were both sort of student-y, yeah, you know. And but one I had a leaflet on the side by the bed saying, uh, the student's guide to chlamydia. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one had the student's guide to herpes. Uh-huh. And I've never had that choice before going, I'd better Google which you is the... You would have chlamydia, uh, I think I went for chlamydia. Yeah, chlamydia yeah. is one that... <laughs> You've got to be careful <laughs> when you're so, 50. So yes, we are medical this week. now. Enough on my medical comedy show. I think we've, we've dwelt on that enough. But I will mention another free thing that I'm doing. This is your bring a bottle moment this week. Bring a bottle is the chance each episode to to give something back. Your invitation to bring something to the party yourself. Because, uh, you know, we've got these guests for you here. Why not mingle in uh, and, and join a little bit? So, yes, you could come to my navel gazing shows in London, Liverpool or Nottingham. And or I have a book launch in Guildford on October the 1st or on London... On London? Well, in London. It's not really on... I suppose you're standing on London ground, put it that way. That's October the 11th. So this new book is Hark! The Biography of Christmas it's the history of Christmas really every single bit of Christmas uh, culture and custom is explored in its historical roots and what's led up to it it's a sort of fun and trivia filled and a bit QIE but also I don't know it's a lot it's more thorough than I'd planned on it being to be honest I've been working on it for the last couple of years I'm I'm fiercely proud of it and I've got the book Uh, I only got it on Thursday last week which was uh, quite exciting I didn't even think it would make it this far to be honest because if I'm honest the company the publishers actually went into administration on the very day that I handed the manuscript in so uh, they've been operating on a skeleton team for the last uh best part of a year really so finally when one book landed on my doormat on Thursday last week uh it was a delight to see really it was a couple of days before I got another batch of 100 or so so I could take them to gigs and things and sell but I had one copy on Friday morning that I went up to do radio to pause with thought with my one copy and I thought well Chris Evans he's very kindly written the forward I should give it to him this one copy um then also I mean I should just hang on to it it's good to have isn't it and then actually, they have the celebrity guests in Radio 2 on a, on a Friday morning at the breakfast show. That Gary Barlow was there. I thought, well, I could give my copy to Gary Barlow. He might tweet about it. He's unlikely to, but it's nice to know that he's got the first copy. But what other guests do they have there? Colin Firth. He was there that day. Well, who do you give you one copy to? Gary Barlow or Colin Firth? What a dilemma. So I was flicking through the book, and I realised, actually, i forgotten completely, Colin Firth is in the book. I have referenced him in the History of Christmas, so I... I've got to give it to him. So I picked my moment. We finished the breakfast. Show. It's like 9.35, Ken Bruce is on air. Popmaster's all gearing up. Everyone's mingling around. Lots of managers, agents, and things. And Colin Firth's there in the, in the green room. So I sort of went up to him and he gave me a little nod and said, oh, Well done on the pause for Thornton." Thank you very much indeed, Colin. I said, Mr Further, may I give you this book? I said, this is literally the only copy in existence. There are no other copies right now that I know of. They are out there, but this is the only copy I have. May I give you this book? And he looked at it, and very kindly, he said, oh, well, History of Christmas. And I said, yes, well, you're in there. He said, of course I am. He said, of course I'm in the History of Christmas. Christmas jumpers, Bridget Jones's diary, of course, all that sort of thing. And I thought, oh, no, I've missed a trick there. I've not got him in for that. I've got him in for the King's Speech. When uh, George the did didn't want to do the King's Speech that Christmas because of the stammer, and then he did, and it made the country like him more. So um, yeah, Collins' death reminding me that actually, he, well, he seems to think that he has this role as as the King of Christmas Jumpers. I suppose maybe he did. I've, I've sort of put it down to Val Dunick and Andy Williams, and Alan Partridge, but Mister um, Trick, something to revise for. The second edition, perhaps. Anyway, more copies have arrived. I'll be launching the book on October the 1st in Guildford. Why didn't I get Colin Firth as a guest on this show? That's what I should have said to him. should have said, forget the book, Colin. Speak to this. Be a guest on our podcast. That would have been very nice indeed. Maybe a future time we'll have Colin Firth as a star guest. Maybe I should have asked Gary Barlow. Maybe he would have been on the podcast. Anyway, my point is getting distracted, Carenza. October 1st in Guildford at the Keep Pub. That is our our book launch. Also, October the 11th in London at Blackwell's Bookshop in Holborn. So we've got a pub in Guildford, a bookshop in London. That's how it works. The bookshop as well, the Blackwell's Holborn Bookshop is the nearest bookshop to Charles Dickens' house. That's the Dickens' house, the Dickens' museum. The idea being you could actually go to Dickens House and Museum before the book launch, I think close at five, have a bit of dinner, come out for 6.30 to Blackwell's, launch the Christmas book. You will never have as Christmassy a festive a day as that. It's only a shame in a way, it's October the 11th and not full on Christmas season. But if you want to get in the spirit early, just for one day, on October 12th, you can go back to Hating Christmas again until December. But October 11th, if you fancy coming out, it's a free event, right? So it's open to everybody, open invite, but you need to be on the list because both in the Guildford Place and the London Place, Space is finite. So email ho ho humbug at gmail.com. That is ho ho humbug at gmail.com. You can be on the free list, you can bring people, you just need to let me know for numbers. There'll be a short talk from me on the history of Christmas, some festive nibbles. It's fun, it's festive, it's early I know, but just get past that, get the book out and all that sort of stuff, and join me there. We'll have a little glass of wine. If you would like to Guildford or London, you are most welcome. Just email us, hohohumbug at gmail.com. And I'll be telling more about the Christmas book, particularly on our December episode of this podcast. But for now, come to the launch. That's your bring a bottle moment. Uh, Rather a long way of saying it this week, but I had to go via the... uh, the, When you get a Colin Firth anecdote like that, you need to drop it in somehow. There's no easy way. Anyway, RSVP if you want to come, or indeed, better still, part with cash, Navalist gazing, Museum of Comedy, September 23rd, Liverpool, 26th, Nottingham, November, sometime, you know the rest. Ah, Right relief. Let's have another guest, radio producer Chris Byland, who can tell me really why well, I'm going wrong in, in waffling away too much. Perhaps you know how do you best become a radio presenter, Chris Byland? Obviously, glittering career, which uh, the highlight of which I'm sure would be an afternoon show was a year or two ago, when basically you produced the only time that I've ever presented anything. Oh yeah, sort of publicly. It's not hospital radio, oh, so yes. I'm feeling this should really become some sort of um, appraisal. Appraisal. You know? So, oh, uh, okay. What do I? How do I go from here? What's this, how do you make a good radio presenter? Uh, brackets. Um, how do I make a good radio presenter? But you know, more generally, the world. At, you know, adv- advice for the world at large. But feel free to reference the mistakes I made 18 months ago. Oh
7: well. Uh, I think I, I came across that the other day. Actually. Oh, really?
3: Oh, dear. And I don't think... I thought they burnt th- the copies. I no,
7: think. was it yeah. really 18 months? But how do you... I don't know. I mean, t- to be a radio yeah. presenter, yeah, you need to be willing to share as yes. much as you physically can right. with <laughs> those people who might send you letters. Very true. That is literally what it is. Yes. And being able to share your life in a way that relates to the people that might be listening.
3: Do you, are there two different types of presenters as well? Uh, this is how I see it in my head. Mm-hmm. The ones who, I don't know, operate the deck, run the thing, hmm. know, know what buttons to push, basically, hmm. and the ones who don't and who just turn up and <laughs> say things and other people push the buttons and make it all happen.
7: Uh, it depends on the radio station, right? firstly. Uh, there are some radio stations where the latter would yes. happen. Indeed. Uh, mainly the BBC, where someone will press buttons for you. Yeah. And then a lot of radio stations now presenters also have to be producers. Right. And yes. they really need the nouns to be able to open a microphone and talk at the same time. Mm. It's a difficult job, but someone's got to do it.
3: Very true. Very true. I'm always amazed and impressed when I've worked with with Chris Evans and his his he the buttons and and oh, there's speed loads. and um and thinking ahead all the time while speaking at the same time.
7: Have you ever watched some of those videos from the 90s of uh, especially American videos? Uh, some of those stations in America, where they've got cartwheels, so it's not mm. obvious. Everything now is digital, so it's coming off a computer. Yes. Uh, some of those stations in America were playing things off of cassettes. Mm. They were playing them off of, well, uh, carts. Yes, yeah, remember the carts. Uh, and, yep. and to some point, vinyl. Mm. And amongst all that, you know, adverts were coming off like little cart machines mm. as well. So, while presenting and pr- doing this really high energy show. They were having to push about a million buttons all at the same time, yeah, yeah. change records, flip records over, get the right cart machine, and then just do it. it was, if mm. you ever get the chance to watch some of those videos back in the 90s. Yeah. In fact, there's a great one of, I think it's Neil Fox. Okay. He might have been at Capital. I saw it on YouTube the other day, and literally, he is left, yeah. right, and center with his hands trying to make things right. come together. It sounds amazing, yeah. but obviously, you never get to see it as no, of you're driving along in your
3: car. I can imagine this is a new form of visual entertainment, uh, watching well, 90s DJs uh, well, do this. Well, Chris
7: did that. Chris Evans did that. Right.
3: In He was one of the very
7: first. When he owned Virgin, mm. um, he had a Sky TV channel. It might have even been on Sky 1 for a couple of hours yes. every single day. And you'd watch Chris in the studio on Sky doing his breakfast show. Uh-huh. And he was sort of one of the first people to do that. Right. And obviously yes. then all... Changed and mm. Chris wasn't a version anymore. Yes, but Chris was doing that long before Pre, anyone else.
3: Sort of pre-webcam kind of. Yeah, thing. it was almost yeah, yeah, like yeah.
7: the because we, we had webcams and and yeah. you would watch sort of people yes. updated every five minutes. Yeah. Oh look, he's moved for coffee mug. Oh <laughs> yes, look, he's yes. he's moved a microphone. Oh, who's yeah. that in the corner? Oh, it's yeah, gone again. Got that?
3: They was like still webcams. Yeah, weren't they, were they still. I'd forgotten that.
7: So Chris was sort of yes. a pioneer for that. Mm. Um, but they weren't playing music videos so when the music was on you would hear the music Mm. but obviously all you would see was an image of the studio of people just moving around it didn't really make any sense but he was the leader of
3: Okay, people forget that so lots of repeat guests this week. We have had Chris there, telling us how to make great radio. More from him after another welcome return to our seven-sided club. Also here in the How To corner, we've had how to present radio. Let's now have how to be a TV pundit from Eric McElroy. The
0: punditry stuff has been interesting. Um, it's you get listed as a comic doing it or a satirist or something. Uh, so you're but you're on you know the sofa at breakfast, mm. where if you try and say a gag they sort of, like the very first time I ever did it, I was talking about the fact I have a British passport now. And the woman said to me, I can't remember which presenter it was, um, so um, why did you move to the UK? And I said, well, it's to steal a British person's job. And she just looked at me and went, oh, no, you're you're joking. And I was like, Uh, look at the little thing under my name. Look at, you know, (laughs) so because it's not Mock the Week, they book you in. To be funny, mm. but then when you are funny, they either cut you off before you've delivered the punchline, yep. or 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 sometimes it's serious enough that you, you need to be, yes, you know, hopefully yes. thoughtful. Yep. But then people are oh, you're supposed to be the comedian, you know, that kind of yeah. tone. So it's I, there's moments where I felt like I've really nailed it, and you mm. kind of lean into it in the right way, and I've learned how to do it better. But there's moments where I feel like oh, I just that, that was yeah that was weird. You have to. I think I sounded like him dork you've got to not wait for the laugh I suppose haven't you no, there ain't going to no, be one I mean it's nice yeah. if you can make people laugh but, yeah. Uh, so yeah I think I've gotten better at it but it's weird to practice something you know like an open spot but in front yep, of a few of course, million people exactly. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> publicly. Like they're low impact I mean you know, yeah. I've had a few I've done a few where someone's texted me from done Sky News or something and they're in Malaysia and they're like, no, just like oh, well, well, I go, was on good. TV in Malaysia oh, you go. that gets I think, you more
3: uh, uh, you know, more, profile and audience than 2 a.m. with the invisible doll. Exactly, or whatever it
0: is. but um, yeah. but, they, but they, what I have there is a punditry circuit of people that that's what they do because wow. these things do pay a tiny bit of money. Yeah, and um, yeah. not it's not as much as one would think, but uh, but you get a bit. Of, but there's people that are like that's their, mm. like I bet one person. and This is I mean this kind so yeah. yeah. of makes a living off of doing pop ups on Sky and a so I BBC this. Radio and that kind of thing.
3: There's like yourself, uh, Kate Smythway, yes, yeah. yeah. um, and um, world. I did hear that um, Katie Hopkins was doing all right from just doing those, oh, like, yeah. doing, like, five, six a day. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You can, that can be your job. Yeah, that's it. And, um, I mean, if you, if you can bear being Katie Hopkins. Yeah, I know, yeah. That's um, a day, yeah. Uh, she's, she
3: but then, of course, that will, will generate her own, uh, you know, opinions, which yeah. kind of, somebody can blame the publicity circuit yeah. for creating Katie Hopkins in many ways.
0: Yeah, I think, um, so it's, it's, I don't want to get pigeonholed in that because I'm yeah. not an, I think some people have gotten into it and become more of an activist than... Comedian and and I and I, I want to still be much on the comedy side. So if I I don't want to get stuck in it, but at the same time it's interesting talking about what i I care about, and and if when there's money in there, that's obviously nice. Right. That it's makes my wife not look at me with that. Yeah, it's when of, they
3: call up and say, uh, you know, it'll be six a.m. or seven a.m. Can we speak to you at this thing? and yeah. can we come and do this? And then you think it's a bit of an early start for, for zero pay, but if they're mm. paying us, suddenly okay, we can make this work. Can make, you know, justify fine. everything. Yeah. Else. Yeah
0: because um, so, I would imagine you've gotten some of those calls for being kind of a, a comedian yeah, that I would imagine is that the particularly the label for a very specific yeah, angle
3: and particularly they? Sunday mornings yeah, uh, right. either Sunday morning radio shows okay. or the occasional Sunday morning BBC One whatever they have yep. you know having an Earth show or Big Questions mm. and stuff like that and uh, yeah so I've done the Big Questions once or twice which is you know going into this, but it's one of those bit like Question Time. Where they go, "We are live from Glasgow," yeah. so it's so that crucial question. Whenever they say, "Can you be on the big questions yeah. this Sunday?" Where are you? Awkley? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I cannot do the double up yeah. because, of course, they never realise I'm gigging the night before somewhere. Yeah. So I'm gonna get back at two o'clock in the morning from Barnstable, Yep. and then I've got to try and get
0: to it. So yeah, um, yeah,
2: yeah you know, tricky.
0: Doing BBC breakfast sounds fun, but <sighs> it's in Salford now. Of course, and it there's is nothing wrong with Salford. or the yeah. north of England in general, yeah. but. I live in London and yeah, so that means you've got to go up the night before yep. and you know get up early and everything else but to, to be on the sofa for two minutes
3: yes then, that's
0: two bye. that's it bye again Lads, like, bye. Bye. yeah two or three minutes is the, yeah, and, then yeah. you're, and then you're done back yeah. on the train so you know but that's no, most that's, of our life as comedians that's is punditry traveling that's one of the that's punditry yeah exactly
3: Chris Byman I used to be a football coach did you really? yeah what did you who, who, what did you coach? So I coached you football for 12 mm. years. Right, okay. I didn't have a child. Right. But... Well, that's not a prerequisite for coaching the no, children, is it? No,
7: no. But I was quite young. And I was oh. one of the few people... Because most dads get into it because mm. they are... Oh, that's true, yes. You know, you get yeah. your son for free. or your yes. Or daughter, in this case, yes, or, or whatever. But the sheer comedy... in Because yeah. you are a, a innocent bystander. Yes. Effectively. Um, you have no bias towards anyone. Right. And... The sheer politics of football on a Sunday morning between a group of eleven-year-old kids.
3: The eleven-year-old oh, kids are fine. Yeah, yeah. It's parents, the parents. It's the parents. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I imagine.
7: Parents are a nasty.
3: Presumably, getting into it a little bit too much, uh, not realising it's just a game. Yes. All that sort of stuff.
7: All of
1: that. Yeah, yeah.
7: And they will literally. Hammer you for anything, mm. like not enough oranges. Yeah. Why is my son not playing? And generally shout abuse. Yes. At you.
3: Yes. Did you coach any uh, David Beckham's or anything? Who, who, um, or you I don't did. know, of course. Who I do. Oh, you do.
7: I do. Oh, so you... two of my players went on really? to be professional. Okay. Which is quite nice. Very good. One of them went on to West Ham.
3: Okay, I've heard of them.
7: They're they're kind of cool. They're good. Uh, well, but I saw the Beckham. Right. Okay. Gigs, Skulls, Era. Yeah. I saw the. Era is a great
3: one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A, definitely.
1: Brilliant play.
7: Uh, I saw the 99 season. Right. But the problem I had was I saw them win everything mm-hmm. and I was only. I must have been like 10 or 11. Right. No, I must have been older than that. Okay. I was doing my yeah. GCSEs. Yes. Yeah, so How they, would you do GCSEs?
3: Well, you would have been advanced if you were doing them at no. 10 or 11. Yeah.
7: So well, I'm not that clever. 15,
3: 16. Yeah, I 15, 16. Yeah. So.
7: I, I had the opportunity to go to the new Camp Then watch the final Right uh, Barcelona Yeah Bayern Munich, Manchester United And my mum wouldn't let me go
3: Well you got your GCSEs to do it. Well you?
7: this is it And We watched it on TV at home mm. And she said to me uh, About 88 minutes bearing in my Manchester United losing 1-0 mm. She said Oh I bet you're glad you didn't go all the way to Barcelona now yeah. As to which point of course. two minutes later. Yeah. A goal. Yeah. Well, and then you, another goal. This is
3: it. You never know. You never know which will be yeah. the next nineteen sixty six World Cup final that you know exactly. you have to be there. The
7: yeah. most annoying thing is I failed my geography exam the following day. So even if I had gone, it wouldn't have made any difference. Well
3: I was gonna say, if 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 the subject you're meant to be studying is geography, then surely going to Barcelona might help. That's it, a place. It
7: would have helped. Isn't I it? would have learned no Spanish. Yeah. You I would have, have, have learned it? nothing about tapas
3: it's but something as long as you know if there's a question in the thing you know what is the capital of the barcelona region of spain barcelona obviously obviously yeah, you would have been, you'd have been there for that yeah. All right, that was Chris Byland. And uh, our last guest this week it is a newcomer. We've had lots of repeat guests. We love a newbie, though. Uh, so from our live show earlier this year, we are delighted to welcome a bona fide storyteller. Uh, she co-runs the 10x9 Story Night in Ballum. I've done it. It's a fantastic night. If you're interested in storytelling and you're in South London, get to Ballum for the 10x9 Story Night. So Becca Barron, this is. She brought us this true and quite medical tale. So be warned. Here's Becca Barron.
5: I know far more about my insides than I ever thought I would. It's 2009, I'm 22 years old, and I'm travelling through Southeast Asia. Done Cambodia, done Vietnam, I'm about to take on Laos. My travelling companion is my good friend Dan. Key thing to know about Dan is that he looks a lot like Harry Potter, and so we got hounded pretty much everywhere we went. And this, this kind of drove him crazy. Um, and what I would do to help the situation is tell the people around us that he had, in fact, been Daniel Radcliffe's stunt double in the first three films. So it was, to all intents and purposes, Harry Potter. We get to Laos and the town of Vang Vieng. Vang Vieng is a strange place. It is overrun with Western tourists. And this phenomenon of friends' bars has popped up. Um, to cater for all these tourists. So there are these bars that just show Friends 24-7. Um, there are a couple that show The Simpsons. There's one that specialises in, I believe, John Travolta films. Um, but mainly the town's people lying about watching Friends reruns. The first night that we're in um, Vang Viang, I start to feel a little bit ill. And then what follows is the worst night of my life in the bathroom that I was sharing with Dan. To begin with, he and I both thought it was food poisoning. Um, But then I started to get a really intense pain in my abdomen. So intense that I couldn't move, I couldn't sleep. It was horrible. Um, And the bathroom episodes... Now, I should pause and say that I have an extreme aversion to any kind of bodily function talk. um, And so I'm just going to say bathroom episodes. And you're going to have to use your imaginations. Because I'm not being any more specific than that. Other than to say, I've never had both happen at the same time. So these bathroom episodes continued for about three days, and on day three, Dan decides, let's go to hospital. The hospital in Bang Biang uh, was built by French nuns in the late 1900s, and had not been cleaned since, I don't think. Um, I had a scan, and the surgeon said to me, you've got appendicitis. You've got two options, you can either stay here and have the surgery, or you can go to Thailand, to an international hospital, and have the surgery there. But, the journey might kill you. <laughs> go for the option that's not going to kill you. So I say, put. The surgeon goes away, He comes back a couple of hours later, and he says, what are you still doing here? And I'm like, you, you said if I, if I go, I'll die. No, 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 he said. I said, if you go, you might die. If you stay, you'll die. <laughs> and then he gestured broadly at the blood on the floor and the insects crawling up and down the walls. Now at this point... I haven't slept in three days, I haven't eaten, I haven't had any water, I'm in so much pain I cannot think. I am in no state to make any kind of decision, life-threatening or otherwise. So this is when our hero, down, sort of Harry Potter, steps up to the plate. You're going to Thailand, an ambulance, I'm going to get the insurance company on the phone, you're not staying here. A little while later, Tin can of Wheels rolls up and takes us the four-hour journey to the border. And it is the most pain I have ever felt in my life. We were going along unsealed, potholed-filled roads, and I really thought I was going to die. We have a stop-off at a border clinic. Um, I have a couple more tests. Eventually, a Thai ambulance turns up, takes me to the Thai hospital. By this point, it's about 2 a.m. The surgeon comes to see me, says, yep, appendicitis. Schedules the surgery for 6 a.m. At which point, I'm wheeled into a uh, an operating theatre where the nurses are sitting and listening to the 2001 pop classic, Uncle Crackers' Follow Me, which I think we all know. <laughs> Follow me and everything is... Come on, there we go. Uh, which is what everyone wants to hear just before they have told you. Um, they give me an epidural, and as, about, as they're about to start cutting, I'm like, oh, I'm not asleep! And they say to me, oh, you'd like to be asleep. Yes, yes, yes. Very much so. I would like to be asleep. Uh, So they give me something to put me to sleep, but because it's not what's keeping me numb, I think they don't necessarily keep as close an eye on it as they should, and so I wake up a few times during the surgery. The first time I woke up, I complained that my face was itching, and so the very kind anaesthetist rubbed my face until I went back to sleep. (laughs) The next time I woke up, they said to me, it's not your appendix, something else is the problem. Now, at this point, I am high as a freaking kite. So I'm like, take what you need to. Take it, I don't care. Do it. I love your work. (laughs) Also told them that we'd go for drinks afterwards. (laughs) Um, Anyway, what happened was in the middle of my abdomen, they found a tumour about the size of a small melon. And the tumour had twisted itself around cut off the blood supply to itself, and gone gangrenous inside me. They take the tumour out, they take the tube, they take the ovary, they take the appendix, for good measure, I guess, and they send the tumour off to Bangkok for testing. It comes back non-cancerous. It is a benign tumour, a type of cyst called a mature teratoma, and these are um, tumours that have mature cells in them, so cells that look like other parts of your body, uh, they can have full bone organs in them, they're what, if you hear or if you read a trashy magazine that says um, I ate my own twin in the womb um, no, they didn't, <laughs> they had a mature teratoma, and this is what I had and mine had, my surgeon cheerfully informed me, uh, bits of hair bone and cheesy material <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that image the same surgeon also gave me the photos that the lab had taken and said, "Pop." I was in with your holiday snaps.
0: <laughs>
5: and about four days later, three or four days later after the surgery, my mum arrived. My mum, who gets anxious going on a canal boat holiday, came halfway across the world to collect me and take me home. And never have I felt such relief. They say that travelling is meant to change you. Fairly sure they weren't talking about leaving organs behind <laughs> in your country of choice. <laughs>
3: So Becca's Storytellers Night, 10x9Ballam, has details online. Thank you, Becca, for sharing. Some may say oversharing, but I like to be thinking that is definitely just good sharing.
4: I was listening to and not wanting to listen to, like, I wanted to listen to the human aspect, yep. but I didn't
3: want to get a visual on the, on the unit there. It's, like, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I'm doing a talk, but it's quite medical, and I'm working out at the minute. I'm testing out on stage how medical to get. And you're telling me now, not so much. Oh, to get no, too med- no, no, no. I Get really medical. It's beg, funny. You yeah. get in on that stuff. Yeah. Because
4: yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. I did a bit about castrating pigs, which I used to have to do. Okay, that's the true Yeah, and I talked about cutting the balls there. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's good. You have experience of well, Canadian diseases? Can, that's the farm, yeah, growing up on yeah. the farm.
3: So there you go. Medical overshare is okay. So. Good on, Becca, and good on all of us talking about medical stuff. Did I mention my navelless gazing medical comedy show this weekend? Oh, I did. Sorry about that. Rhythmic
4: gymnastics. Tell me about rhythmic. gymnastics. Rhythmic gymnastics. Well, of course. So, uh, I'm, I'm on tour at the moment, actually. And uh, so if people have been on to my tour show. They'll know uh, my part in uh, rhythmic gymnastics. You have a part Yeah, I, I was uh, there at the... Not at the very beginning, because there's always been uh, people... Dancing with ribbons and balls. Were you one of those? You know, too. Uh, yeah, but I just took it to a new level. Right. Mine was when I was uh, I was being held prisoner by Joseph Stalin, of course, of course, at the Lubyanka prison, and uh, Nikolai Yezhov was applying the dark arts to me. Really hard. And uh, like really bad, like you know, he's beating me off- awfully. He's only five foot and strong. And uh, you know, uh, and I just thought this, this is heading You know, this right here is a bad situation. That's what I said to myself because I didn't have any Russian at that time. And I thought, you know, this is no good. This is a no good situation. It's like that time I was captured by ISIS, and I I just, you know, I thought, well, this is, that's the end of this. I said to him, look, you guys, quit it, I told him. Anyways, it was heading south, and I thought, how am I going to get out of this, the Lubyanka prison? Yeah, I think you have similar thoughts to myself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you've turned. That happens. that happens. That's why I keep few friends. Everyone likes me for the first year or so. You know, a lot of
3: stories, you can see the flow.
4: And oh, I no, just wait, put okay. So, yeah, it's very well, awesome. I, look, yeah. you'd think, how are you going to get out of that situation? Yeah. Well, in my cell was a little ribbon lying in the corner of the cell, and that's how rhythmic gymnastics was born. Wow. Yes, Stalin loved it. No, I can imagine. Joseph Jugashvili. Is very good story, but yes. Uh, DJ Jugashvili. He was small, too, 5'4. <laughs> Pure evil, and yellow eyes. <laughs> I've been all over, but maybe on a heist, which is the heights. Yeah. It's just, so I think it. we can sum it. I'll sum it up for yeah. you. Yeah. Silk rope, good. Yep. Stalin, no good. <laughs> no good at all. Rhythmic gymnastics, awesome. You know, silk. There's a tie in there. You have silk ribbons. Um, <laughs> Genghis Khan, great. And uh, on tour.
3: Till May. I wish we had an hour, but we have Tony Law. Finally, we like to visit the Bay Window of Wisdom, our seventh corner of our seven-sided heptagon Club. Uh, this week in the Bay Window of Wisdom, radio producer Chris Byland.
7: Uh, do stuff and then apologise
3: for it after. OK, good advice. I like that.
7: That's what yes. I tend to do. Right. It seems to work. I yes. don't have to apologize very often because well, it seems to work. And there's little
3: little thinking time in radio, I imagine. You need to no. uh, you just need to do it. No,
7: sometimes sometimes you just need to do things mm. as you see fit mm. as the moment calls it. If you think about it, then sometimes you over engineer stuff.
1: Yeah. Don't do that. Okay. okay. That's
7: the best advice I could probably offer. Act now act now apologise later very good unless it's going to get you in a lot of trouble yes. then maybe think a little
3: bit Okay. well thank you for joining us thank you to our seven fantastic guests seven more next time that's how we roll really so more in a month so that'll be probably late October 2017 for the next one thank you to Rob Halligan for this fine music and thank you to you if you managed to come to my solo show in London, Liverpool and Nottingham or the book launch in Guildford or London you're most welcome just RSVP on the email hey, you.
6: Anybody said to you today. or
3: buy a book if you manage to buy one have a look online part the, the biography of Christmas it's out there for the
2: buying more on that
3: next time do donate if it you wish you people wear. have to the podcast and I love or them for it rate me. us on iTunes we're on Facebook
5: you can like us there share us we'll see you next time more in a month see you in October